Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. Hi friends, here's a little interesting question for you. Where is the mind? We know we have a brain, we know we have a body and we know we have a mind or spirit if you like. But where is it? Where is it located and what's it really responsible for? Certainly responsible for our life force or our kind of inner spirit or whatever you would choose to call it really. And my guest on today's podcast really helps break it down and also helps you understand how you can kind of clear your mind of toxic thoughts and trauma. And we also dive into my own experience uh, a little bit with clinical depression. And so I hope that you will find this episode valuable or maybe if not you, but someone you know who's been struggling a bit, um, feel free to share this episode with them if you think it may help them. Um, my guest is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and she is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. She has written no less than 19 books. They're amazing. Um, I highly recommend that you follow her on Instagram and you also go and check out her website, drleaf.com. It has a fountain of information. But without further delay, let me introduce you now to the lovely and highly knowledgeable Dr. Leaf. So Dr. Caroline, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, You've written, I think, is it 19 books? It's just phenomenal. Yeah, the 19th one is just just basically going in them. It's in layout at the moment. It's I've done a book on mental health for children. So that's um, coming out next year. So how to help parents help their children with their mental health. And that'll be number 19. <laughs> Amazing. I just find all your work so inspirational. And there's just the way you integrate science with kind of the quantum world and the holistic nature and kind of everything is just absolutely fascinating to me. And I, I know it's going to be to listeners of this podcast. I think a really good place to start because people don't understand this is, and I don't think I fully understand this to be perfectly honest with you, is what is the difference between the body, the mind and the brain? Because the mind, for example, seems to be, I know like Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about when the body becomes the mind. And I think people get very confused. So how do we define the mind and how is it different? Such a good question. And, and it's often the first question people ask me, and it's really the most important question. We've made the mind such a complex thing and it's not complex at all. And the easiest way to understand the mind is two, two ways I'm going to tell you. First of all, you and I are having a conversation. You are you listening to me. I'm listening to you. I know about you. You know about me. If we didn't have a mind, we couldn't do this. So our mind is our ability that we have as humans to actually use our brain and use our body to express our uniqueness and to be able to process conversations and process life. If someone was dead, we had a dead person sitting in the studio with either you or my or or both of us, they wouldn't be able to do anything because once you die, your mind pretty much goes. And where we don't know, I mean, there's all kinds of philosophical and spiritual things we can talk about there, but essentially there's a driving force that keeps the brain and the body alive. And that 
is, I believe, the mind. And I've been researching this for 38 years. So from a scientific perspective and from a very philosophical, and if you go back to like ancient texts and things, we've always made the distinction between mind and brain. It's only in the most recent last sort of 40 years, four decades, that we have collapsed the concept of mind and brain as the same thing. So they were always seen as separate. So in our current paradigm, we talk about, and here I've got a, a model of the brain, we talk about mind and brain as though they're the as though they're synonyms, as though they're the same thing. And we often hear people saying that the brain produces the mind. But I'll say it again. If we had a dead person here, we could hold up their brain, we could stare at it all day, it would never produce a thought. But you and I, as I'm talking, you're thinking. People are listening, they're watching, they're thinking, they produce, they, they're pulling up on memories, they're thinking of all kinds of things that they've read in this, in this field. So the mind is our ability, our aliveness, it is our ability to think, feel, and choose on a psychological level. On a very physics level, it is a field, an electromagnetic field, a gravitational field, a quantum field. We talk about the biofield. It's what helps the heart beat. It's what helps us make 800,000 to a million new cells every second. It's what's helping you sit there and be alive. It's what we would measure when we do a QEEG, an EEG on the heart. Um, any, it's what's making the blood moves through your veins. It's what's making um, your body warm. Everything about your aliveness is coming from this driving force of the mind. So you take mind out and the brain and body immediately, that life force is gone and immediately it disintegrates. So there's another word for mind, life force. And if you want to get technical, mind can be broken up into three different types, three different levels. And the most, the biggest, most driving intelligent force um, part of mind is the non-conscious n-o-n non-conscious not unconscious not subconscious but non-conscious n-o-n and that is the part of you that's alive 24 7 it's what key it's what's keep it's active 24 7 i should say it is helping us now to process this information it is helping us to as we're listening we're drawing on all kinds of existing thoughts with embedded memories to help us to have this conversation it's what helps us process and build every experience we have as we are alive, as we are consciously awake during the course of today into our brain and our body and in, our, in the field of our mind. And it's what sorts out our thinking while we're sleeping. So that's the biggest part of us. Every experience we've ever had since a certain point, like really late in, in the womb and then at birth up to the age that we're at now is being converted by the mind into the brain as a physical structural change, as a change inside every part of your body, which is body memory. And then also in the other fields of, of the, 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 the gravitational field all around us. So when someone's dead, that gravitational field that's around and through us goes, it disappears. There's, you know, like now we can walk past each other and you can get an electric shock from each other. That's kind of a, almost an example of, a, of the, the, this field around us that drives us, that of which mind is basically what it is. And yet if someone's dead, that doesn't happen. So I spent a long time trying to find, years in fact, a greens powder that I actually liked the taste of. And I finally found one that basically tastes amazing on its own or actually mixed into shakes, which is pretty unusual because some of them taste kind of really minty and that overpowers everything else. Whereas this one just tastes really, really nice. And it mixes well with banana and protein powder. Uh, it also mixes really well with a strawberry protein I've been using. And it just works super well just on its own on an empty stomach. And that is Athletic Greens. It has prebiotics, probiotics, and naturally occurring enzymes that boost digestion, has your daily dose of vitamin C and 
zinc, healing mushrooms, magnesium to help you regulate all day energy and support um, energy production in our cells. And it's packed with superfoods, adaptogens and antioxidants. And I absolutely love it. And the cool thing is you can get one year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs when you get your order off Athletic Greens. All you need to do is go to this special link, athleticgreens.com forward slash Angela Foster. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Angela Foster to bag yourself a year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs. Now let's get back to the show. And then the other part of mind is the conscious mind, and that's the most obvious. Conscious is awake when we're awake. It's actually quite slow in comparison to the non-conscious. The non-conscious, as I said, operates 24-7, and at speeds of so fast, faster than 400 billion actions per second. The conscious mind is slow. It only operates at about 2,000 actions per second. It doesn't mean that the conscious is not intelligent, very intelligent. We, our conscious minds help us process what's going on, but our non-conscious mind is actually enabling us to understand what's going on. So the non-conscious has to drive the conscious and the conscious has to draw on the non-conscious in order to make sense of what you're hearing. Now I'm talking about conscious and non-conscious. So then there's something in between and that's the subconscious. So the subconscious is is like a portal or a bridge between the infinite non-conscious and the finite conscious mind. And we basically operate in the non-conscious 24-7, but the conscious and the subconscious is only working when you're awake. So that's kind of a, a broad overview of it. And I'll give you one more example that makes it really, I think, quite easy to understand. And if you think of it, you and I, neither of us are floating. We're both sitting in our chairs and the tables and things behind us are not floating. And that's because of gravity. We can't see gravity, but we could see the product of gravity. We don't float so gravity operates in this, but if you go to the moon, there's no gravity, so people float. The mind is something sim- is, is a similar way. That's an analogy for mind. You can't see mind. I can't see a physical. I can see me. I can see you. We can see our hands. We could open your head and look at your brain, um, but we, ca- we can't see mind as clearly. We can see it now with technology and that kind of thing, like if someone's heart beating, that's evidence of mind as well. But we see the product of mind which is your and my ability to communicate. You and, you and I, our ability to be parents, whatever it is, do this podcast. Does, does that make sense? It's a long answer, but it's- Yeah, it does. It does. Simple. It's fascinating because then when, when we look at that sort of three-tier system, a lot of times we're here that our decisions and things are driven, like, you know, we might consciously decide that we want to adopt a new behavior, for example, but actually 95% we're told is driven by the subconscious mind. Actually, we have this other part that you're saying is the non-conscious mind. I'm just kind of curious how that intersects in our behavior and really what part, what becomes our personality effectively. Okay. So the subconscious doesn't actually store anything. So the, everything is actually inside the non-conscious. The non-conscious is this very misunderstood part of us. And it's often referred to as the unconscious and the subconscious. So the subconscious think of as just being a portal. It's a transition point um, between the non-conscious and the conscious. So an example, as I'm talking now, thoughts are moving up. I'm stimulating all kinds of thoughts to move into your head. Where are they coming from? The non-conscious, what are they going through? The subconscious, where they're coming into, the conscious. So everything's, you've got trillions of thoughts made of memories because thoughts look like trees and they're made of 
like a tree is made of roots and branches, a thought is made of memory roots and memory branches. So in one thought, you'll have a cluster of similar memories. So this thought could be of this conversation. People are building a thought and everything that I'm saying and you are asking and discussing is going into the, the root system. So this thought of this conversation is made of memories. So memories are different to thoughts, like brain is different to mind. Thoughts are made of memories and our mind makes these thoughts made of memories um, out of experiences and builds them into the brain as structural changes that look like these thought trees. And then our, in our body, the brain sends an instruction via the mind to the body and we store this thought inside every cell of our body as a structural change in our body. So we're making a lot of, we're building every experience into the brain, the body and the mind. And it's the non-conscious that's driving that process. The subconscious is just this alerting system, this portal, this bridge between the conscious and the non-conscious. So when we have, um, in any one day, we are exposed to all kinds of stuff. We're only consciously aware of somewhere between one and maybe 5% of what we're actually exposed to, because that's what we're paying attention to. But actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's being absorbed by your mind and being built into your brain and your body. And a lot of what we, uh, I don't know what percentage is different for every person, it's different in every one day. But in any one day, you may read a lot of negative political news or be immersed in just a negative environment. In that case, there's maybe of that 95 to 99% of stuff exposed to, a large part of that could be negative. And um, another day, it may be more positive. But the point is that if it's if our conscious mind's only aware of a portion, but that non-conscious stuff is still building into our brain and our body. So one of the major roles of our non-conscious mind is to scan through everything we're exposed to in a day and then obviously over time, and then make us aware of those so that if they are toxic, so this would be a healthy thought, if they're toxic, I just use these as representations because they do they're great representations. Yeah, and it's easy to hang on to these because they're basically what the thoughts look like in the brain. These proteins fold nicely. That's why it's pretty. And these proteins don't fold nicely. So it's ugly. And it's all got inflammation and chemicals. Everything's out of balance here. But in it, so our non conscious mind's always trying to find these and get rid of these because these are destructive to our functioning. It, they steal our peace. They make us feel you know, mental health challenges and physical challenges because our brain and our body are not designed to hold these for very long. They, our mind, brain, and body are designed to get rid of them. So therefore, our non-conscious mind scans for these, finds the ones that are the most damaging, and sends a message through the subconscious into your conscious mind. And those, and so you become consciously aware of this by through four, four ways. Your emotions, so anxiety, depression, frustration, irritation, whatever, or a combination, your behaviors, what are you saying and doing, your um, bodily sensations, okay, what's going on in your body, because it's going to pull up the memory that was in your body, and then these three channel into your perspective, your mindset, your attitude, and essentially what we want to do as humans is train ourselves to tune into these four signals, because they will then take us to the thought, and then the thought, once we find the thought, we can then find the details or data or memories. And then we can do something. We can actually get power over it to be constructed and reconstructed. Because we know from neuroscience that once you become aware of something through paying attention to the signals, this then moves into the conscious mind from the non-conscious through the subconscious into the conscious mind. And now I can change it. The minute you're aware, the branches weaken, the proteins weaken, the bonds, the chemical bonds weaken. And now you can actually change that. 
And you can never change what's happened to you, but because your story is of the past, that's what's happened, but you can change what's in you. So you can change this into a healthy version over time. This gets smaller and smaller, and eventually it's tiny, and this takes over. But that takes time, and it takes cycles of at least 63 to 66 days, and sometimes multiple cycles. So it's not one, not four, not 21 days. To do this, where we deconstruct and reconstruct via listening to our signals takes us a process. And this is pretty much a summary of what I've been researching for all these years, is mm. what is a what is the memory? What's the mind-brain connection? What kind of power do we have? Can we can we respond to our um, all the stuff we feel? What do we do with that? How can we make that more manageable and, pra and practical, etc.? And so the system I've developed for this is called the NeuroCycle, which helps you to do this whole thing that I've just described. Did I answer your question? Because you yeah, very well. And I think just to, just to clarify for people that are listening rather than watching, um, what you're holding up there is two versions of a sort of a mini tree. One is a and green and vibrant and healthy and the other is kind of entangled and gray and sort of lost all its vibrancy right just so people can visualize thank you i mean i always normally do that i got so caught up i forgot to <laughs> no don't worry don't worry at all as the nights draw in and it's getting darker in the evenings here in the uk um, and the mornings are let much less bright it seems that we are just turning on our lights more and more and that can really disrupt our sleep but the best way to avoid this is, first of all, obviously to dim the lights in the evening, but also to pop on a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Now, not all blue light blocking glasses block enough blue light, but the ones by Red Light Rising do, and they are my favourite. I tend to put a yellow lens pair on in the afternoon, and then as I transition into the evening, I put on the red lens, which blocks 100% of blue light and just sets me up for a fantastic night's sleep every night. In fact, it's not just me, all members of my household, my kids included wear these blue light blocking lenses and you can get yourself a cool 10% off their lens wear by heading over to angelafoster.me forward slash blue blockers that's angelafoster.me forward slash blue blockers and entering code angela at checkout and if you're thinking about getting a red light you can also get the same discount off any of their red light therapy devices as well that's angelafoster.me forward slash blue blockers now let's get back to the show What's interesting to me, what you're talking about there and the rewiring and the neuroplasticity is um, you were saying how it can take time is when I had my own battle with clinical depression, which actually started postnatally, it then got sort of worse after each child. I found it became more and more entrenched. And I know you talk about, you know, we can end up taking power away from the individual if they're told that they can't get better or they can't change things. And that was definitely something I was told by a by a psychiatrist that actually I was possible bipolar and I would be on medication for life. Now I questioned that, but it did take me a very long time to transition off antipsychotic and antidepressant medication. And as you say, create those neural path, new neural pathways. And the first step for me was actually highlighting the thoughts like you were saying. So I, I learned to recognize with CBT and other therapies that that feeling that I was holding within my body came from a thought somewhere. And it, it took a while to make that connection. But as soon as I could understand that the feeling was created by a thought and I could track back and understand what that thought was and then begin to question it, I found that over time, and it's, um, it's still work in progress, um, it took me, I think, five years maybe to go through that process of coming off and fully transitioning off medication. And even now it's sort of three years on, I still 
have to remind myself to put one foot in front of the other, right? Neurologically, I know that I'm still sometimes wired in the morning to wake up feeling depressed. Um, and, and I have to kind of actively participate if you like. And I almost compare it. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but for me, it feels like if we had a cornfield and the grass was really long on one side, and then there's a really well-trodden path on the other, it's almost like my brain can easily slip into to go down that well-trodden path. But what I've had to do is forge a new path and let the grass grow up over the old one. That's kind of how I feel it's going on. Um, but it, it is difficult, right? Because these things can become quite entrenched, I think. Well, absolutely. And what you described is, is, is thank you for sharing that, that story. And that is so totally what's happened. So um, you see, uh, let, me, let me simplify this. When you go through something, uh, I'm going to start from the beginning. When they told you you had clinical depression after having a baby, postnatal depression, you would have been told that there's something wrong with your disease, when you, with your brain, your brain's disease. And especially mm. when telling you bipolar and all these things. That's the biomedical model. And the biomedical model says, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong with your brain. You wired this way. You even made a comment. You wired neurologically to wake up and feel depressed. That's not actually the truth. You know, there's no neurobiological underlying cause for the depression. So you're not feeling, de you weren't feeling depressed because you had a weakness in your brain or a heritable thing or a chemical imbalance. You were feeling depressed because your hormones were thrown out of gear from having a child and your whole life adjusted. And that is not an easy task. So postnatal depression is a very, very normal response to a very challenging situation, but they've medicalized something that's very normal. And what we should be doing is not labeling and medicating someone with postnatal depression, which is so thank goodness and well done for coming off your off your meds and, and not receiving that diagnosis, because we know that diagnosing and labeling shortens people's lifespans and, and takes hope away and they don't heal as quickly. Mm. But basically, what should have been done was that you should have been given the support that you needed or let you speak about these things and talk about these things and process. And someone should have told you, hey, it's okay to feel like this. This is a very normal response. It's not that there's something wrong with your brain. For them to say you have bipolar, and these, not, these are not even proper scientific categories. So these, these, the whole um, biological myth is falling apart. And yet it's still very dominant because 85 to 90% of people still believe that they have depression because there's an inherited chemical imbalance because of a gene, genetic flaw inside their brain or some neurobiological damage. But that's not what the 56 years of going down that road has not produced the neurobiological cause. And a paper was just released and I interviewed Joanna Moncrief and Mark Horowitz, who are the authors of the paper. And they basically confirm what we've known for years, which is that there is no link between chemical imbalance and serotonin, a chemical imbalance of serotonin and depression, and that you can't have an antidepressant to push it back, put serotonin back. That's an incorrect story. And even psychiatrists have known this since the, since the 70s. It's been in the psychiatry textbook since the 90s, yet that's the message that's still sung. So someone like yourself gets told, hey, there's now something wrong with me. And then that, that then wires a a thought that there's something wrong with me, that mm -hmm. I'm not going to be stuck on medication the rest of my life. And that we see from the research removes hope from people. But when you say to someone, hey, you're having a normal response and it feels very difficult and we need to get, we need to not say what's wrong with you, but what's happened to you. You've had a baby. There's changes in your life. What support system do we need? You need to talk about this. You need to process this. We need to find what, are, what do you need to deal with the situation so that you can feel a sense of peace. Also, the other thing is we need to allow ourselves to feel depression. There is nothing wrong with feeling depression, feeling anxiety, feeling 
fear, worry, frustration. These are not bad things. We've got to stop saying, this is a bad emotion. That's a good emotion. I'm now going to do a technique to suppress the bad emotion. So coming to your pathway analogy, we always have that worn path because you can't change your story, but you've grown, you've, you've, you've changed the nature of that pathway. It's weakened and it's not as strong as before, but you're, so your story has, is still there but it's now you've rewired and you have a new way of functioning. And you do have to work with it because you can remember how you were. Now, we can't just take, as you've experienced yourself, cognitive behavior therapy is, is saying this is bad and I need to take this, use this technique to, to, con to control this. You, it's the, that will never work either because if, if CBT is used in that way, because basically it's the, it's, it's the white elephant in the room, the white bear effect. You tell a person not to think about something, they're going to think mm. about it. No matter how many pathways you wire, and I practice this and I say enough affirmations and I make this strong, I'm still going to fight this. What I need to do is weaken this. I need to accept this and I need to weaken it and I need to change its power. Now, energy is never lost in the mind-brain-body connection. Energy is only ever transferred. So when you go through what you went through and you weaned yourself of anti and all the antidepressants and whatever else they gave you, antipsychotics, I assume, probably multiple drugs, um, you were going through a process and, and you went for therapies. You were going through a process of doing this, of pulling this up from the non-conscious into the consciousness, saying, I'm feeling like this. These are my behaviors. You may not have consciously said these words, but this is essentially what you were doing, recognizing and deconstructing. You were taking the power and transferring that energy over to a new way of thinking now this got small but it's still there so if i now choose to pay attention to that i can regrow that you know and that's that's unfortunately part of life i can fall back into the let's say someone abused you and you and you're a victim and but you've been bitter about it and you have right to be bitter to feel bitterness but at some point you're going to have to move into 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 releasing that otherwise it's going to control you but if you choose to get bitter again it can come back and control you so we've got to we've got to change we've got to build and this takes time this takes cycles of, of minimum cycle of 66 63 to 66 days now they have patients who've done 12 cycles over two years to get to the point where they feel like they, okay, I'm starting to get a hang of this. And you mentioned that yourself. Now, on top of going through the healing of undoing the damage of thinking there was something wrong with you, meanwhile, you just had a baby and there was a normal response. You had to deal with all these self, there's a lot of non-conscious damage that was done to your own identity and your selfhood because you weren't, you know, you were a mom, you're a new mom, et cetera. There's not something wrong with your brain. You had to fix that. Then there were probably all kinds of other patterns and things that came up and you were also coming off the drugs. Now those medications, those psychotropics, their long-term safety is not established at all. In fact, they change the brain in a negative way. They're also not a disease. They're not fixing a disease. They're simply psychoactive. They're drugs. They're not like insulin that fixes a disease of diabetes. They are drugs that have a psychoactive effect. So they're like cocaine and they're like alcohol. So they change the way that the brain functions and they're like an anesthesia. They suppress the emotions. And that's over time. That's not fixing the problem. That's just no, helping. I agree. And also, as you say, it's hugely disempowering because actually the medication that I would take at night, I mean, my husband will remind me now that, you know, I had to, I had to know that I was going to be in bed within 15 minutes because otherwise I was pretty much just going to fall asleep. It was so strong, uh, you know, and just be sort of almost unconscious and I would have terrible night sweats. And I think, you know, I just, I love the information you're sharing because I think so many people at the moment, particularly after the pandemic, um, now we're kind of entering into, you know, stress around the economy and things are really struggling yeah, exactly. with anxiety and depression. There's like never been a, a greater time really for, for the work that you do. 
um, one thing I guess is that's um, sort of interesting for me, meditation really, really helped going inwards, journaling, really starting to understand myself. And strangely, uh, hypnosis was very powerful. Hypnosis I found allowed me to access this kind of invisible thing the that we call the mind. And it was... Well, sorry, conscious mind. The, the sorry, yeah. I didn't interrupt you. The mind is not um, the the mind is visible now to us because we're having a conversation. But these the driving forces at ninety five to ninety nine percent. That's the sort of thing hypnosis is helping you access what's deep down. These things that are deep down inside that you that you're not even aware of. And so you through something like hypnosis, or um, you can do this consciously as well. You don't have to go through hypnosis to find this, but it's basically finding these things and pulling them up. Sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to share that. But you can do that process as well. You can. That's what I've spent all these years researching, and I developed a system based on research. And we still do a lot of clinical trials and research and studies. And it's called the Neurocycle. So I'm sure you're probably aware of it. It's in this. It's in this book. It's also in this book, and I have an app as well. And it's literally how you can train yourself to get your conscious mind to connect to listen to the subconscious to find the thoughts in the non-conscious. So you're getting the non-conscious to talk to the conscious and finding those patterns and then deconstructing and reconstructing. So it's a daily 15 to 45-minute process that you do in cycles of 63 days. But what's beautiful about this, this when you get a handle on getting the conscious to talk to the non-conscious through the, the neurocycle, you can put any CBT technique and all that, anything, ACT, whatever technique you want, affirmations, but you can put them in at the right place. Because if you do CBT and all those kinds of things at the wrong place, place they actually won't work they'll be damaging they won't it'll be a temporary relief but not sustainable but if you put them in at the right place there's a five-step process and your fifth step would be things like cbt and that sort of thing meditation is um it is your prior step so meditation creates and there's so many different types as we know meditation decompression etc that prepares your brain neurophysiologically so yes it's extremely helpful we've got it helps to to calm down the neurophysiology and get us ready for the work of deconstructing and reconstructing but if we just just do meditation alone which i know you've experienced you're going to actually feel worse because it brings stuff up mm. and if you don't manage that you know, mindfulness, meditation, etc. If you don't manage what's come up, then you've got to, you, you, it's going to cause, make you worse. So you've got to meditate to get yourself, or I call it brain preparation, of which meditation, breathing, all, all fall under that category. So you prepare your brain, and then you go into go beyond brain preparation, beyond mindfulness, beyond meditation, into actively embracing, processing, and reconceptualizing. And that's what I mean about, you know, pull this up, pay attention to the signals, deconstruct, reconstruct. You can't just take, say, this is bad, and I'm going to do this and say mm. this times to stamp that out. You've actually got to go through the process. So that's what the neurocycle in the book and the app actually help people do. So I know we're throwing out a lot of stuff, and there is a scientific technique. There is literally a way of me giving you therapy that you can take what you're really doing, but putting it in the correct framework so that you drive the mind-brain-body connection, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And we'll link to that in the show notes, the Neurocycle app and, and your and your book as well, because I think it will really help. You know, I speak to so many people and listeners will message me, you know, how do I overcome trauma and things like that and release it? And I think this will really, really help them. Um, one thing I'm really curious about, because thoughts are things effectively and how we create our own reality. Uh, just your thoughts around that. I know you touch on uh, in some of your books as well. How do we, how does this sort of interlink with manifestation and and, and what we're bringing into our world. Okay, so that's an excellent question. So let's say now that you take this conversation, you've had this conversation and people, everything that we've been saying is 
been taken by the mind and been built into the root system of the of, of this thought. So we're building a thought about how to manage our mind, mental health, all this stuff, trauma, etc. So that's the name of the thought. And every bit of detail that I'm giving you is going into the root system. So the name of the podcast is The Seed in the Ground, and our conversation is building the roots. So that's the source, the origin story. And as you are hearing this as a unique individual, as I've been explaining, other thoughts will be stimulated from the non-conscious to move through the subconscious into the conscious mind. And that helps you then interpret what you're hearing and you build this interpretation into this part. So this is a physical thought made of proteins in the brain with these three parts. That's the origin. This is the interpretation. Now, in a toxic situation, that's the source of the pain. And this is the interpretation and that's the distorted processing. Both of these show up. So let's take this one. So now in order for me to talk about this stuff, I've spent years building these kinds of thoughts into my brain about all the work that I've done, all the studies and the research and the clinical practice. So I have lots of these. As I'm talking to you, these are manifesting in our discussion. I'm drawing on this data, this information. As you ask me a question, it's pulling up an appropriate experience or something I've studied or part of a clinical trial. And I'm drawing on that. And this information, the origin story, my interpretation, how you pulled the question, pose the question, that is then all this is what I am using to say what I'm saying. So I'm manifesting what I'm saying. So what we say and what we do is an outpouring of our thoughts. So everything you feel, say, do in your perspective and what your body feels is not a random thing coming out of fresh air. It's coming from a source and that source is a thought. And this is, and these thoughts can constantly be changed when we pull them into the conscious mind. So therefore, if I have a back over in our current environment, we are being told all the time, there's a pandemic in mental health. Our children are going through a pandemic in mental health. There's so much fear of mental health. We have the most overdiagnosed um, children in history and over-medicated children, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, the most medicated children in history and um, basically are going to lead the short, we're literally chopping off 15 to 28 to 25 years of their life to these diagnoses and medication based on science that's not good science at all. Wow. And so what we have, that's why I've just, that's why I'm releasing the book next year, how to help a parent to help their child clean up the mental mess. So this book being for the adults and then now how do you help your child? So essentially what we are trying to, what, what I'm saying is that we can have this constant barrage of a fear of, and I have to see a professional. I have to get a diagnosis. If I don't get that medication, I'm not doing the right thing for my child. You know, that's the messaging we've had. We've got toxic messaging that's that has now manifested in a fear of for the for uh, uh, for, for a parents not even knowing how to be a parent. I'm, I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's like. Um, um, you, you know, I've got well, I, I had a psychologist claim, you know, that they needed to medicate. My my son is on the autism spectrum, but he's very high functioning. He had anxiety, and we actually felt, my husband and I, that it was the wrong school environment, and we needed to move him out of that. They wanted to medicate him, and we said we're never ever going to medicate a child with a growing brain. It's just not going to happen. So we looked at his nutrition, we looked at coaching him, we looked at psychology, you know, sessions. He does meditation and everything else, and removed him from the environment, and he has flourished. His exam grades have grown. Up. And it's just amazing to see. Like, I love what you teach here because I just think it's so important. Well, a lot of my early work on developing the neurocycle, the system that I keep talking about, was on children with autism that had gone through the same stories. And we said, listen, let's rather change this whole way we're doing this and work with them in terms of helping them to manage their mind and look at the whole story, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, we if we constantly send a negative message like you, to your child, oh, there's something wrong with you and you need this medication. Now, the medication is already dulling the brain and the messaging is adding another 
toxic wiring. I mean, we literally are wiring by telling someone that you have a label or telling someone there's a pandemic problem or telling someone that you we have to get a consult with a professional to get a diagnosis. We're building in the wrong expectation. And then that manifests in us losing our selfhood. If we think, oh, I mean, bottom line is that life is tough. There's challenges, bad things happen, and we have responses to those things. So instead of pathologizing and medicalizing a normal human response to COVID, to loneliness, to death, to loss, to trauma, Depression, anxiety are normal responses. Grief is a normal response to these adverse circumstances. They don't need to be medicalized. Childhood does not need to be pathologized. What we need to do is get together as a community and embrace and process and reconceptualize and do what you did with your child. Change the environment. Change the diet. Look at them as a holistic person. Build up their selfhood, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing. Oh, thank you so much for coming and sharing that. I know we have a very short time today um, and I'm grateful for you to coming on because you know you have other commitments today. Hopefully we can do a part two. Um, Where can people find you? It would be amazing to do that. Where can people find you, uh, Dr. Caroline, your app, your books and everything? Well, I'm, I'm my Instagram handles, Dr. Caroline Leaf, all my social media handles, Dr. Caroline Leaf, my webpage, drleaf.com. The book's available wherever books are sold. My podcast is actually called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. The app is called NeuroCycle. You can go to neurocycle.app on our webpage. You can go to iTunes, Google Play, wherever you download. And we've also just started, um, we've relaunched in this country as a certified facilitator program where you can actually become a NeuroCycle coach and then you can coach other people in how to use this in their um, therapies and coaching, counseling. How exciting and help create that ripple effect across the world. That's amazing. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com forward slash podcast. And you can download the transcript there together with the show notes and all of the other resources that I have on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.